Welcome to Non-Toxic. I'm Andrew Lewis. And I'm Daniel Penny. This week, I have a short but sweet conversation with young Jordan Parker, a.k.a. JP Charisma. A JP will forever hold the title as Non-Toxic's first ever TikToker guest, where he goes by Black Butterfly Man. What would season one be without a TikToker? So what's JP Charisma's story? It's a cool one. And not at all what you'd expect from a young social media influencer. JP's not chasing trend videos or trying to do news roundups. All he's doing is native gardening, which is fantastic because I actually happen to be a native gardener myself. Which is what exactly? It's kind of crazy that we, we have to answer that question, but, but we do. Native gardening is when you landscape your yard or any garden space with plants that are native to the region where you live. So JP, he lives in Florida. So what he did is he cleared all these non-native plants that were growing in his yard and replaced them with plants that grow naturally in the Florida swamplands and forests all around him. Believe it or not, the vast majority of landscaping companies and even nurseries in the United States use flowers and shrubs that were at some point in time brought over from different states or countries. The early American aristocracy was notorious for bringing plants from everywhere. The problem is that these plants, they require, these days, a lot of fertilizer and water because they haven't taken millions of years to adapt to local conditions. On the other hand, native plants just need a lot less care. But for JP, he's particularly interested in raising awareness about how these plants can support butterfly populations and other pollinators, which is critical to keeping our ecosystems healthy. Because without pollinators, there are no flowers and no food crops, right? A good example are nut crops in California. You might have seen news stories about apiaries being transferred across the country in trucks where they're essentially rented out to almond farmers for a few weeks. So super important for certain crops. Gotcha. So how exactly did JP get into butterflies and native gardening. It seems like a kind of unusual niche for TikTok. I'm used to seeing, you know, get ready with me or which, which pants are swaggier. Well, okay, definitely space for which pants are swaggier on TikTok. Uh, but it's a good question. I think it's one that JP answers kind of beautifully in our conversation. I encourage everyone to check out his TikToks or YouTube videos at JP Charisma. They're not just good watching and entertainment. They're, they're definitely educational. It is, I think, really cool to see a young man, a young black man at that, getting into the space and coming at it with a fresh perspective on social media where so many people are paying attention. Nice. All right. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about native gardening and helping out our friends, the pollinators. Here's Andrew talking with JP Charisma. JP, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> I think I want to start with a really basic question, kind of an easy one, I'm sure. Can you explain how native plants sort of improve those problems like heat and other issues that are you know related to climate change? How do they how do they how are they better than non-native slash invasive plant species? Well, I mean, the biggest thing with like native plants is that they've evolved and they've adapted to those spaces. So when you're planting native plants, you're not going to have to spend extra money on irrigation and, you know, adding all those extra resources like fertilizer to keep this plant alive. This plant is going to 
thrive there. It's going to provide resources for wildlife. And it's going to overall improve the quality of water as well as air quality. So when you're adding native plants, you're basically like rebuilding something that was once there and was working tried and true to that area. So it's very important that we continue to add native plants in spaces that once was there. So it's just basically conservation, like even at like a gardening perspective. Yeah, totally. And, and speaking of, you know, losing wildlife and try to trying to regenerate the land, your focus is pollinators, right? Okay, so I just will give you my origin story at this point. So basically, what happened with me is like, I as a kid, like I always loved butterflies, like I knew, like milkweed was the host plant for the monarch butterfly. And so like, for my journey, like I was just COVID happened. And I was just walking and I saw these butterflies and they were white and black striped. Those are zebra long wings that I saw. And I was like, well, what is that butterfly's host plant? Like, I've got to figure that out. And so then I started like researching a little bit more about plants. I figured out that they use passion vine. And so like that kind of like stuck with me for a bit. I hmm. went to this place called Little Red Wagon. I used to actually work there. And so working there for about a year and a half, I was able to learn a lot of information about native plants and we really specialized in butterfly plants so i learned a lot about herbaceous plants like wildflowers and grasses that are very crucial for butterflies because you know they specialize in a lot of those plants when it comes to their host plants but yeah i learned like a lot of information working there um i read a lot of information from the florida native plant society so anybody that's listening if you want to become more aware of like what native plants are to your region definitely go to a native nursery definitely join your native plant society if you have problems with like getting native plants there's always you can always contact like your local university sometimes they'll have seed banks and swaps and stuff like that like in florida does like a native plant sale every year and so there's a huge flux of people that just drive all the way to gainesville to buy native plants so that's that's another way to get access to native plants and like for us, our Florida Native Plant Society has so much information on their website. And there's also the Florida Wildflower Foundation that I get a lot of information from too. So I literally just like sit there and read so much information about all these plants that attract these butterflies because I'm trying to get them in my garden. And I'm also trying to like learn how to garden with native plants. So that's kind of how I really learned all this stuff. The thing that I'm most impressed about is knowing most of the or all of the scientific names of, of the plants that, you, that you're planting. Did you learn all of that stuff in, in this same process? I mean, that's like that's an incredible amount of information in not that long of time. Well, I mean, when you're a butterfly gardener, you end up becoming a botanist at this point. Like you have to because if you want like that specific plant, you've got to know the Latin name because like in this industry, it's like. So many people are really just working like we live in a capitalistic society, honestly, and so many people are just working and they're just trying to make a living. They're not actually like aware of the, the fine details and I'm very detailed oriented. So if I want like something specific, I'm going to find out how to get it without making it so hard for people to like get what I need. You get what I'm saying? Like I can yeah. just put the scientific name there if it's not the scientific name then that's the wrong plan, you know? And so because I know this, like I know exactly what it is that I'm purchasing. And I'm just- I'm wondering, 
generally speaking, like I learned a lot of this because I'm passionate about it. You know, like when you're yeah. passionate about something, you're going to retain that information a lot better. Why should people want to make sure that they're planting plants that are great for butterflies and pollinators as well? What is that added benefit that they provide for that overall yard slash garden environment? The first thing is they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Like when you have wildflowers in your yard, it just like when you go outside and you see how pretty everything is, like that helps your overall mood, you know, when you're outside and you're seeing nice things. And I would say it just makes the spaces so much more appealing. Like that's definitely one of the best benefits of it. Another reason why people add native plants to their yard is also some people are also food gardeners. So like if you're if you want if you're into like food sustainability, adding, you know, wildflowers adds more pollinators and those pollinators will be able to pollinate your crops and your food. And so you're actually increasing your yield. So that's another benefit of adding wildflowers to your yard. Um, and then especially if they're native, you're not going to you can actually zero scape. So if there's areas that, you know, they they have like a specific amount of water that they can use. And if they use native plants, then they don't even have to actually irrigate the landscape. So by adding those native plants, you are essentially like creating a space that is sustaining itself and you're not having to add all those inputs. I should probably reveal here that I'm a I'm a big time native plant person as well. I got my house a couple of years ago and I've been like I watched your videos and I completely relate to the the transformation that you're going for. It's difficult work, you know, digging up everything and, and transforming it. But the first, it's kind of two questions. The first question is, you got to tell us what is wrong with a giant lawn of just grass? So the biggest problem with that is you're basically creating like a desert for animals. There's literally like Oh, there's like a couple butterflies that can use like St. Augustine grass, right? But like nothing else can really use like a lawn, you know? There's no resources for like people are like, well, what about the bees? What about the birds? Like the birds and the bees, they don't have anything in your lawn that they can actually use. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that honeybees are not native to the United States. They're actually from Europe. And so when we when we mean save the bees, we mean we need to save those native bees. So by, you know, creating a lawn, um, you're essentially stripping the land of all of these resources. You're putting in this grass. You're spending so much money trying to maintain this lawn and make it look appealing. People are spraying, you know, pesticides, herbicides, all these chemicals that, you know, can cause cancer, like carcinogens. And essentially, when you are doing that, you're just, it's like a, I always say this, it's basically, you're a colonist, like you're colonizing the land for some grass. <laughs> Today's episode of Non-Toxic is sponsored by Fruling, a New York-based snack company making next-level trail mix with heirloom varieties of nuts, berries, and whole-roasted cacao beans. Find Fruling products at select boutiques and health food stores or order directly online. Listeners can use the code NONTOXIC, that's in all caps, for 20% off orders at fruling.co slash shop. Fruling, naturally delicious. So I think shifting gears a little bit, it's no secret, I don't think, that in the botany world, in the horticultural world, at least in the United States, 
it seems to me it's a very white space, right? Even if a lot of the people, the landscapers, you know, doing the actual work are not necessarily, you know, white faces. So I really wanted to talk to you about, you know, your experiences as a black man getting into this and not only getting into it and being passionate about it, but choosing to go ahead and promote it, you know, choosing social media to spread the word. And I don't know if you want to use the word influencer or not. I don't know how you feel about that. But in, in a lot of ways, I mean, that's that's what you're doing. And, and that's a choice, you know, to take that step further. So I'm curious about how you how you're thinking about that dynamic. I mean, if we want to touch bases on like race for a second, I would definitely say like the industry that I'm in is definitely mainly white people. There's just a lot of Caucasians in the spaces that I'm in. And I mean, I don't really necessarily know why that is per se, but my perception of it is like a lot of these people that are in this space, they're more so like worried about like the environment. You know, they have they have had a lot of opportunities to just think about you know, nature. And that's something that they enjoy. Whereas a lot of people of color don't have the same opportunities, you know, like I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to even do this myself. And I see a lot of people of my color, they just don't have the same opportunities that I've had to even like be in these spaces. And it's also a lot of it has to do with culture and, and you know, how people view certain things, you know, so like for me, like I kind of just don't care about all that stuff. I just like, I just live like how I feel like living. I don't really like we were talking about like we're trying to talk about masculinity first like as an example like I don't really care about masculinity or femininity I'm just trying to live my true authentic self and so like I could see why people of my skin aren't necessarily in this industry so much you know because like the culture that's tied into it I do see a lot of people of my color that are interested in native plants because of the medicinal benefits of it and I think a lot of BIPOC community people Definitely, when it comes to native plants, I would say they more so rely on native plants for like a source of food or, you know, helping their life. Whereas, you know, people who aren't of color are kind of just in, in it because they care about the environment per se. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how they're in this industry. Whereas like people, BIPOC community is kind of relying on these plants, you know? Hmm. That's a super interesting point. So it's in a lot of ways, it's a it's kind of a messaging issue, right? It's sort of the the messaging for so long has just been this environmental issue when there's a whole nother area, you know, medicinal benefits and health benefits. I wanted to ask you, you posted something on Instagram the other day about basically, you know, still loving cars. I scrolled back through your, your old videos and you did a lot of like really great car reviews and that kind of thing. But you did some, mention a little bit about feeling that the car community is a little bit corny and filled with with toxic masculinity and I was kind of hoping you could talk a little bit about that that dynamic that difference and just how gardening might sort of cut against do you feel like it, that those elements those toxic masculinity elements of car culture sort of pushed you towards you know gardening more I mean I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth but I'm curious about if, if those elements have kind of, you know, edged you closer to focusing your life on on this new pursuit. I wouldn't say it was that per se. The car, like being in the cars is expensive. It is <laughs> yes. way more expensive than it is to be a, a native gardener. I mean, over time, like you probably would stack up a lot of money 
in your garden to make a native garden. But like the initial investment to be like a someone in the car community is so expensive. But I will say that like the toxic masculinity in the car culture definitely pushed me away from trying to, you know, be a part of that community and, you know, participated, participated, participate more closely to it. I definitely, you know, it pushed me like I pushed back. Some examples of toxic masculinity include boasting about who has the better or faster car, publicly embarrassing people to show dominance, invalidating people because they can't drive manual or don't work on their own car, labeling people <laughs> homophobic slurs for owning certain cars or using certain colors that they don't deem masculine. Like I didn't, I don't want like there's people in the car community that I'm completely cool with. You know, I have, you know, good connections with people in there, but like you know, like, you know, when there's like an enthusiast, like, I would not say that I'm like, that 100% like hardcore car enthusiast, like, that's not me. Like, I, I don't associate with that, especially with some of the ideologies that are also in it. But there is good people in it. But it's just I, I definitely don't associate with the culture as much as I do with the cars. Yeah, I'm guessing there there aren't heated arguments about who's, you know, who has better milkweed in the garden and Oh no, there is arguments. No, no, there is arguments about the good milkweed cuz the thing is with Oh, you got to tell me about this. So, here's the thing. So, I don't know if you know this, but basically there is this parasite called OE that harms the monarch butterfly. And mm -hmm. so we have this whole savior complex of oh, let's save the monarch people think that they need to be raising monarch butterflies to save them when that's actually hurting them more than it's helping them. And so a lot of people, they don't even understand what OE is and they're raising all these monarch butterflies that have a high percentage of OE and it's actually harming their wild population of monarch butterflies because they're raising these butterflies. And they also have the non-native tropical milkweed that has an association of high OE percentages and monarch butterflies. And so People are trying to educate people on, you know, what's the right milkweed to plant in your garden so that way we can help the monarch butterfly. And then people just get into these crazy arguments about, you know, what's the right milkweed that you want to plant. But I always recommend people to, if they can get native milkweed, like if you can get it, get it. But if you can't, I try to recommend people to constantly chop back their non-native milkweed in the winter months if you're in a tropical region like California, Texas, or Florida, because with that non-native milkweed, you're basically harming wild populations of monarch butterflies. Wow, that's super interesting. I didn't, I did not know that. You mentioned the thing about OE and non-native milkweed, and it immediately, immediately made me think about, you know, how you can go to the store and you buy the butterfly kits, and I'm guessing that they may not be the best thing. You know, you feel like maybe you're helping the environment, but you're basically growing monarchs. You know, maybe a better thing you could do for the environment is is just plant native milkweed. That's my that's my goal. That's my objective. And I mean, I'm kind of in the weird like gray area where I'm raising butterflies for educational purposes. That's why I do it. You know, like if you're you know if you're like in a class and you want to show these kids, you know, the monarch butterfly because you know you want to make an impact so that way they care about these things. And I completely understand that, and I'll excuse that. But there's people that are literally so obsessed with like this like dopamine hit of releasing butterflies that they're raising and releasing like hundreds and hundreds of butterflies. And they're not even thinking about the environmental impacts that they're making in their area doing that. Once again, it's like 
humans, you know, intervening and when, when the when the answer is really just doing what nature has already been doing, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's just funny that like I'm so excited about these native plants when they're supposed to be in my backyard. It's like funny that it's like, oh my God, I'm seeing this plant. Yeah, you're supposed to be seeing this plant. It's supposed to be here. Like it's just so funny how like we get so excited about these native plants when like in reality they're native. They're supposed to be here. Like it's not supposed to be something that is hard to see. Like you should be able to see this and access this. I'm wondering your advice for people because I think a good amount of our listeners and, and just people in general, you know, they live in cities, they live in apartments where they're renting or maybe they just have tiny yards. You know, what what is your advice to them if they're super interested in this stuff, but they're just kind of like, how can I, how can I get involved in with this? How can I help? I mean, I would say it just, it kind of depends. Like if you have like a balcony and you just put like a pot with some native plants in it, like that's a huge impact. Like you're going to make a positive impact in the world around you. Other ways that you could be involved is, you know, being involved with your communities. Like there's a lot of community gardens that you could participate in and you could help them start a pollinator garden. You know, you could teach others about the importance of native plants. Um, you know, funding organizations is very important because there's a lot mm -hmm. of organizations that are funding things. There's a lot of like grants that are out there and stuff like that. And so you could definitely like, by helping these organizations, you could help them give grants for more native plant opportunities. So you don't necessarily have to have, you know, your own space to contribute to this industry, but it mm -hmm. definitely helps and makes the experience more enjoyable if you can. JP, where should folks go to, to check you out? learn more about what you got going on because you, you got a lot a lot of stuff happening. So if you want to know a little bit more about me, you can go on my website, www.jpcharisma.com. I have native plants available on there as well as seeds. And eventually I'll also have merchandise on my site. I post a lot on TikTok mainly and Instagram. And I'm also posting on YouTube as well. I'm trying to expand on there. I have a couple of projects that I should be uploading July or August. So if you want to stay tuned, uh, definitely check me out on YouTube. And if you want to contact me directly, go ahead and email me. And that's the best way to contact me. Excellent. Well, JP Charisma, thank you for joining us. I thought I knew a lot and you just taught me a lot more. So I'm going to take that with me <laughs> into my own yard. I appreciate the insight. It's, it was a great conversation. So thank you. Non-Toxic is funded through your donations, and we could really use your help. So if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com slash non-toxicpodcast and become a patron today. Non-Toxic is sponsored by Fruling, a New York-based snack company making next-level trail mix. Music is by Nathan Sharp. Art is by Sam Creasy. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at Substack, where you can get a monthly update on anything going on with the show. And please make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Help people find the show. But nothing does that better than telling somebody you know about it. Help us spread the word.